There was a, a chapter that you probably, those of you who grew up in a church setting, probably learned at a very early age, known as the 23rd Psalm. I'd like to have you turn to that, if you would, this morning, because I would like to begin to take a, a little bit of a deeper look at it. I have had a number of calls and meetings over these last couple of weeks with people within our church that are going through some very trying things. Some of them have been a surprise situations. Some of them are, have just been calling and saying, I just want you to know that we're going through something that really requires extra prayer if you would be willing to do that. And I have been drawn in my own heart and mind to the 23rd Psalm and want to share that with you today. Some of you, as I said, know it by heart, but let me read it to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word today, we recognize that there is the need for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to take words from a page even words that we may be really, really familiar with and that you would begin to break down every word and unlock it so that the fragrance of every word and the full meaning of every word might have impact within our lives today. And so we ask, O oh God, that you would guide our thoughts and guide our direction and that everybody that may be going through situations where they're in the valley today might recognize that there is a shepherd that loves them more than they can ever imagine who's leading them on a journey and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the years since I've been able to be a pastor here, I've had a number of people come walking into the foyer, and because my office is kind of easy to see from the foyer, I've, I've, I have deer heads on one of my walls, and I've had a number of people say, why do you have deer heads on your walls? And I stated to them, I said, because each one of them represents to me a great adventure that I went on. There's one up there that's kind of in the middle. It's a mule deer that the adventure that it reminds me of took place in the Kootenai Mountains of Montana. I remember going with a guide, and we went to this beautiful lake, and there was an area where cars could park and take pictures of the lake and the mountains, and as they took us around the lake to the other side was a trailhead, and there they unpacked the horses, and we put on our backpacks some of the, the way up the mountain. We could ride horses. Others, we had to get off and lead them up. But it was 23 miles back in to the wilderness. The next morning after getting there, I woke up and I walked to a specific location and the clouds below me parted because we were at about 7,000 feet elevation and I, I looked down and as I looked down, I recognized the lake that we had been going around the day before was down below us and there was a line of cars that were there and I recognized that all of them were taking pictures of the very spot that I had been in yesterday of this beautiful scenery. They were all sightseers looking at this beautiful lake and the mountain and I also recognized that because I had become a hiker, I had a different view of things 
And I believe that the 23rd Psalm begins to talk to us about the difference of being sightseers or being hikers and the different views that we can have in life because you see so many people want things from the Lord and they want the joy without the sacrifice. They want the character without the suffering. They want the success having never experienced a failure. They want the gain without the pain. They want the testimony without the test. And we all want everything without having to have paid much for it. And I believe that within this passage of Scripture, we can discover that there are two ways that we can look at the things of the Lord. You can either look at it from the perspective of a sightseer, or you can take a hike with the shepherd and allow him to bring you to places where your view is different and your trust of him is different. We look at this verse and we recognize that today the terminology shepherd is not one that we are very familiar with. And so to modernize this verse for our thinking today, what I would like you to do is take the reference that David used as shepherd and change that main character in this for our purposes to the word bodyguard. The Lord is my bodyguard. It's the idea of a constant protector. The idea that David was projecting that he had seen the Lord take him from a shepherd boy into a mighty king and he understood the importance of, of having the Lord guide him and lead him and he also as a shepherd understood the importance of taking care of helpless animals and he had known that God had been faithful in providing and watching over him. I would like us to look at this chapter this morning in two stages because I believe that our lives, especially those that are lived with the Lord, are lived in two stages. Both of them are ordained of God and both of them are supernaturally lived. But in the middle of those two stages, there's a bridge. And at that point, when we get to the bridge of life, we have to make a determination whether or not we will cross that bridge into greater knowledge of the Lord or whether or not we will camp where we are and miss out on everything that God wants to do. There's a place for you to take some notes on the back of your bulletin. And the first point I want to talk to you about is the first stage that is mentioned within this psalm. And it's the life of me. And me is in parentheses. Because David opens the songs with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I hope today that each and every one of you are able to state definitively that the Lord is your bodyguard that you have made a decision to allow him to have full supremacy over everything in your life, that you have come to him and say, I'm turning over the title of my life to you, and what you want to do with me now is up to you. If I were going to sell you a car or give you a car, I would give you a title that I would sign on the back that releases me from the rights of ownership, and then you take that, and you go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and you stand in a long line, and at the end of that line, you walk out of there, and the title's been changed, and you now have full ownership of that. When we come to Christ and we yield ourselves to Him, I have discovered that some people want Him as a Savior, but don't necessarily want Him as a Lord. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, but I'm not necessarily all bought in as to having you guide and direct everything of my life. And so we discover that there are those that don't want to release their rights completely over to him. And spiritually, they come to church and they agree with a set of facts and they may understand that there is a heaven and they may understand that there's a hell and that Jesus has died for our sins, but mental agreement with a set of facts does not mean that you have yielded yourself to make him Lord over everything. There are a lot of people that know that there is a God but have yet to know him as the Lord of their life. And so it's as if that they wanted joint ownership with God as they perhaps yielded themselves. 
Then there's others that say, you know, I want to be a co-owner with you. And here's the way I'd like that to work. I want all the blessings and I want all the benefits of knowing you, but I'd like none of the responsibilities. If you could just not ask much of me, if you won't lead me into difficult places, I want all the good things of the Lord. And frankly, that describes a lot of people as we face the things of our world today. We want the blessings of the Lord. And if they don't come the way we think they do, sometimes we feel as if maybe he doesn't love us. Then there's a third set of people that they want to be lean holders with the Lord as they give their life to him, thinking, here's the deal, God. If you don't treat me the way I think I need to be treated, if you don't bring my life into a set of blessings that I'm asking you for, if you don't answer my prayers the way that I think you should, and if there's anything that happens in my life that I don't consider a good blessing, then I reserve the right to remove myself from your care and take over ownership of my life. And we hear this in the way that people describe a disappointed relationship with God as, I thought God loved me, but then this happened. And so as a result of that, the idea of of allowing him to be Lord is only as long as good things happen in my life. I trust today that you will be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, my bodyguard. I have yielded everything to him. David then goes on to say that I shall not want, I shall not want. He is such a good bodyguard. He's such a good shepherd that he provides everything that we need. Now, most of you know I grew up in Nebraska and I raised cattle. I was a farm kid, married a New York girl, and we ended up in New York. I look really good in cowboy boots and a big belt buckle. My wife, however, refuses to let me look that good in church. When I was raising cattle, it didn't take me long to begin to recognize that each of my cows had a different type of personality. I had one that you would never turn your back on her because she would butt you and knock you to the ground. She knocked me into a water trough in January once, and I just want you to know she tasted great. I had another one whose name was Daisy. Daisy was the oldest. And whenever I would walk into the barn, Daisy would tell me the personality of what was going on. If Daisy was acting nervous, then I knew there was either a skunk, a possum, or a snake in the barn. Because she just wouldn't relax if things weren't right. If I walked into the barn and she was laying down, I knew that things seemed to be safe there. And so we learned the personalities of them as their shepherd. So when I gave my life to Christ, it became easy for me to understand that his heart is for me, that his heart is to feed me when I'm hungry. He calms my fears. He reassures me that his presence brings me to that place where I know all is well because nothing escapes his gaze. And he said, I shall not want. He's a great caregiver. He goes on to say that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. How many of you love having peace in your life? Love having peace in your home? How many of you sleep better when there's peace? I believe that it's something that we all long for. But as I did a little research on sheep, I discovered that it's not easy to get a sheep to lie down. The strange thing about a sheep is that they will refuse to lie down unless four requirements are met. Sounds like some of your kids. I'm just throwing that out there. Here's the first one. They must be free of fear. A sheep can't relax if they're in fear, if something's going on. Secondly, there must be no tension between the members of the flock. Now, I didn't know that sheep could have emotional problems. 
but apparently if there's some sort of tension that they, they, they can't lay down. Thirdly, they must not be aggravated with flies or parasites. And fourthly, they can't sit down or lay down until they're full, until they've eaten and they're free from hunger. And so it is the shepherd who must see to it that his flock is free of these disturbances. Sheep are easily frightened. And the presence of the shepherd gives them that sense of peace. And so there are many times that like sheep, we are easily frightened. Sometimes it's a call that comes. Something that we didn't expect. How many of you know that if your phone rings in the middle of the night, chances are the news is not good? Being a pastor, that happens from time to time. And we've got a little saying in my house that when the phone rings after midnight, Cindy generally asks me, which hospital are you going to? Because nobody ever calls in the middle of the night just to say things are going great. But there are those calls that come that instantly shake us into a point where we become fearful. There, there are reports that we may get from a doctor that instantly bring us to a place of fear. We are easily frightened by the very thought of what may take place. How many of you are worriers by nature? A worrier by nature has the issue that whenever news is given, instantly they run to the worst case scenario. They begin to make plans in their mind that it cannot get any better. than it's, it's, it's the worst it can get. We're easily frightened. And so the shepherd says, I need you to know that nothing quiets your soul like knowing the shepherd is near. He's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He led me to places of stillness in my spirit. And then it says, he restores my soul. There's not a one of us in this room today that do not carry scars within our life of things that have happened to us in the past. Those events have the tendency to try to dominate our thinking and our lives forever. However, the Lord, when we release ourselves into his care, comes along and he says, I will restore those things. I will make sure that they don't dominate you forever, that they are not a part of your character or part of your nature. I remove them and I give you back everything that you think you lost. And then he goes on to say, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Two things about this. Number one, he leads me. How many of you know that in order to be led, you have to be a great follower? He leads it tells us where he's going. I'm going to lead you on paths that is going to strengthen your righteousness. It's going to make you more like me. I'm going to lead you in places where you are going to develop uh, more and more the characteristics of the Father. And it said, and as he leads us into these paths, he does it for his namesake. In other words, the things that people see in your life as you begin to follow him and trust him more and more, are going to bring him glory because the Bible says they will see the good works that you do and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. Isn't that what we want to be? People that reflect his glory in such a way that when people see us, they're going, I know you. that's not you. That has to be the reflection of the shepherd in your life because you just simply are not capable of that. And he receives the glory for everything that he accomplishes. And he does it for his own namesake. I want you to understand that your life lived in Christ, lived following the shepherd, lived following the bodyguard, that the way he leads you is so that his name is on the line. He leads you with that kind of faithfulness. 
So let me ask you a question. What kind of a reputation would God earn for himself if people were to write down what they see in you? If they were to look at you today and make a determination of the kind of God you serve, what kind of name would Jesus reverberate within their heart and, and mind? Because God's name is on the line. And he wants us to show the world that he's faithful to provide all of your needs and guide you in paths of righteousness. As you get through this very familiar passage, you come to verse 4, and frankly, it's probably the verse that most of us hate the most. It's a verse that we wouldn't tread to if we were on our own, but it says that up to this point, here's what we've seen. The first three verses are all about me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. He leads me. He restores me. It's been all about my comfort and my promises and my healing and my being led, and that's just the way I like it. We love living in the first three verses where it's all about God, the shepherd, providing, taking care of, bodyguard. He's got it all covered. We're just enjoying it. All of the blessings, which is very much like it is in the first stage of your Christian walk when you are just starting out and your spiritual babies and your spiritual children. And you recognize that in that stage of life, he has to give you greater care as he grows you and matures you. But I want you to know that in every life, in every life that has walked with the Lord, you will at one point or another get to verse 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse becomes the bridge from a youthful, childlike faith into something that becomes much deeper and much greater. It's the difference in being a sightseer of Christ and being a hike taker with Christ. It's the difference in, in being one who stands at the lakeside and looks up and sees a mountain or taking the hike to get to the top of the mountain that gives you a greater view because you've swept through all of the effort to get there. The difference in being a sightseer or a hiker because it says, though I walk through the valley, through the valley, I want you to know that it is not uncommon for God to lead you, listen, for God to lead you in places where you must face the things that scare you the most. We often think that that can't be a place where God is going to lead us. He would never take us to those things. But you must understand that if he's leading, the very things that you are most afraid of happening are in his control. And so when he takes you to the valley where it says, the shadow of the valley of death, those of you who have walked with the Lord any length of time know that some of the valleys that you have walked through, the shadows are really, really big, but the issues are very, very small. Shadows always cast a larger image than the issue itself. And so if you are a worrier by nature and something comes to you and there's word that comes, you instantly see the length of the shadow rather than how tiny the actual issue is when it's in the face of God. And we look at it and say, God, how could you have failed me by leading me to this place of all of the things that I fear? And he says to us, this is how you grow. This is the difference and being a sightseer of Christianity, and being a hiker with the shepherd. Because when he leads us through the valley, 
There's always a view on the other side that gives us a greater vista of what he has done, and it will always lead us to thank him and glorify him more. And for those of you that have been through one valley, let me tell you something. There will be many valleys that you will go through in life. But I want you to know this. God is not just a God of the mountaintop. He's also God in the valley. He doesn't lose his power just because there's shadows around you. He doesn't lose his power just because you may be facing something that causes you fear on the inside. In fact, it's in the valley that he is the closest to you and at times will pick you up and carry you. And all of the things that we fear, all of the what-ifs that we face, we need to understand that we come to know him more and his faithfulness as we take a hike with him through the valley. There are a lot of people who check out at this verse. In fact, when the Bible tells us that in the last days the love of many will wax cold, you do recognize it's because they're going to be facing verse 4 and they say, I choose not to go to that valley. I'd rather take over ownership myself and I'll handle it on my own. But there is glorious riches that await those that grow in maturity as they walk with God and allow him to take them through. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 5-9, through 9, there's a really fascinating description of the relationship with Elisha and Elijah and other prophets that I want to just read to you because there came a moment in this when Elisha had to cross the bridge. He faced a situation, and here's what it says, beginning with verse 5. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you not know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? In other words, here's the bad news. You've been really close. He's leaving today. You're on your own. And he said, Yes, I know, he replied. But don't talk about it. Just don't speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And then it says, so the two of them walked on. How many of you have ever faced discouragement in your walk with God? And you thought, I don't know if I can make it another day. I don't know if the things I'm facing, I'm going to be able to make it through. But somehow you got up the next morning and you dove into the word of the Lord and there was enough strength that was given to you and enough encouragement in the word that you just put your foot out in front of you and you took another step and another step and the next thing you know, you're on a pathway and God is leading you through something that you never thought you could get through. Verse 7, 50 men, these are all godly men, these are prophets, 50 men of the company of prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan, they wouldn't cross the bridge. They weren't willing to pay the price to know the power of God. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken. And he said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. We have often looked at valleys as things that rip us apart from our faith. I'm encouraging you today through the word of God to look at the valley as a hike that will grow your faith. It's going to grow your trust in the Lord. It's going to lead you to places where you'll know more about him than ever before. I've said this so many times. You know, it's not in the good times of my life that I learned how powerful God is. It's in the worst times of my life. 
where I've learned how powerful God is. But every one of us will come to this bridge, and if you cross the bridge, you cross into maturity. You cross into knowing more of him and knowing about his faithfulness in your life, or you could, like the 50 prophets, stop and just watch. It's the difference in being a sightseer and a hike-taker. And 50 of them wouldn't take it because it meant dying to something that they weren't willing to let go of. It meant a lifestyle that they were not prepared to embrace. They didn't mind studying the scriptures and knowing the history, but to be given for a failing, fallen society was not something that they found palatable. This has also been a weakness in the testimony of us in America as well because we primarily have proclaimed a Christ that is only a bless me and take great care of me, but never one that walks through the valleys with us. Because we've sometimes thought that if we have to go through valleys, he has failed us. And yet those are the moments that he proves himself the greatest. And so today I encourage you to walk over that bridge in verse 4 and move on to something deeper in all of our lives. Because it leads us to the third point, which is a deeper joy. David was willing to take the full journey. He eventually came to that place where it said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now I had... I had put out on Facebook, which is like a worldwide advertisement, that I was looking for a shepherd's staff, and out of everything in the whole world, none of you had one. So I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations today. There was a shepherd that would stand there, and he had a staff that had two ends to it. One of them was a curled end, and the other one was a straight end, and that was used as both a correction and a protection. The shepherd knew that there were going to be times when he had to use the pointed end to poke it things that were trying to steal the sheep, things that were trying to come in and rob him of his flock, and he became an expert in swinging that rod and, and pointing and poking at anything that would get close because he was the protector. I love the vision of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life because I, I, I believe that we won't know till we get to heaven how many times the Holy Spirit began to swing the rod of protection that we never knew anything about. He was at work in our, in our spiritual warfare, and we didn't even know we were in a battle. But he was at work among us. But then there's the other side of that rod. And frankly, I don't like this side very much. It's the correction side. The one that reaches out sometimes and hooks around a sheep that's going the wrong way and begins to, at first, gently nudge, and if need be, give a yank to get you back on the right path. And some of you today need to yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit that's trying to pull you back to safety. Some of you have begun to wander from the path of righteousness. And right now the Holy Spirit is beating in your heart and you're feeling what we call the convicting power. It's the rod of the Lord reaching out to draw you back. Saying, I don't want you to be in danger. Now if there's one thing that we learned from even our children, it's that nobody likes correction. And unfortunately, we don't grow out of that attitude as we get older. And yet, one of the aspects of being mature in Christ, crossing that bridge, is understanding that when the shepherd is at work in correcting us, it's for a purpose that will bring about greater righteousness in our life and a greater vision of who he is. And the older you get and the more you walk with Christ, probably the less likely you need the hook around your neck to draw you back because you will begin to sense in your heart when the shepherd is not near and you will run to find him. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
We live in a society and a world that's growing more and more hostile to Jesus. Yet the promises of God is that he provides spiritual nourishment that we need to thrive in the middle of the world that considers one true God their enemy. David went on to say this, you anoint my head with oil. What I want you to see about this is that that was an outward thing. It was actual oil that would be poured over the head of an individual so that you could, you could see the oil get into their hair and run down their robe and across their face. You could smell the, the aroma of that oil as it went down. Everybody around knew when somebody was being anointed on the outside. I pray that as we walk and cross this bridge of the fourth verse into what God wants to do, that we would begin to live lives in such a way that as people look at us, they would recognize there is an anointing upon your life that you could not put there yourself. It was laid upon you and it was poured out upon you by the Holy Spirit of God so that you could be seen as one who would glorify his holy name. And then there's an inward anointing. It said, my cup overfloweth. There's things that go on in our lives that we will never be able to express in words to people. It's just an inward knowledge that God is at work and the inward flow of his Holy Spirit begins to fill our lives till it comes out the top and what it brings out when it comes out is loaded with joy. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The outward anointing to be seen as one who is following the shepherd. The inward anointing to be loaded with joy even in the middle of the valley. So great is his joy. And so great is his provision. And lastly, David said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's two dimensions to this. The first one is that his goodness and mercy follows us in this life. In other words, there's the positivity that we are never alone. We sang it this morning about how powerful and how great our God is. We, we're lifting up songs of praise because we know that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And then there's this promise. And this takes all the fear out of the verse 4 valley. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. There are moments and times when we have to be reminded that this is not heaven. No matter how good life may look here, and I will say this, we as Americans have it better than a lot of the places in the world. This is not the final destination. There's both the hope for today and the hope for the future, that I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to ask the worship team if they please come. Our ushers, if they would prepare themselves to begin to distribute communion. A self-focused church will never touch this generation. That is why God is calling us to cross the bridge to where it's no longer about us, but it's about His plans and it's about His purposes. Over the next three weeks, I'm going to be preaching a series of messages on our mission and on our vision and on our values of our church in preparation for the path that God is leading us as we begin to cross the bridge of faith into what we know he's leading us to for greater influence in our community as we prepare to launch building a new building so that we can have a greater influence in our community. And it's going to be a bridge. And each one of you are going to have to decide at some point whether you're going to be a sightseer or whether you're going to be a hiker. Those that hike gets the best view and knows the guide the best. I'm going to ask that you remain seated as our worship team leads us and as our ushers begin to serve people.
Here's what I ask. I know that there are many guests with us today. And if you're a guest with us today, I want you to know that if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you have invited him to be your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not, you are welcome to participate in communion. I'm going to ask that you would hold the emblems until everybody has been served. And at the end, we will stand and we will participate together in this. But I want to welcome you to the Lord's table.